Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened over the past weekend in WWE. Of course, we have already delivered to you a WWE Survivor Series War Games instant analysis podcast that is in our feed waiting for your ear holes if they somehow missed it already. But we still have plenty of fallout to discuss from Survivor Series War Games along with plenty of stuff that happened on SmackDown unrelated to the premium live event and certainly on Raw Monday night coming out of it. So a loaded show for you once again to kick off the week, which we are going to do right now by the Silver King reminding you that this podcast, Getting Over, is all about Defy. So please, folks, it's almost December. It's almost the end of 2022. Stop making me ask. Stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein for Vintage Chris Vanini. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop us a five-star rating on Apple. Take a few extra moments. Leave a five-star written review. Let everyone know how much you love this show, why you listen, why they should subscribe. Just explain to them the greatness that is the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And I'll make you guys all a deal, okay? Right now, we are sitting at... 377 reviews, which by the way, I'm very thankful for. And I appreciate all of you who have taken the time to leave the rating and especially those who have taken a little extra time to leave a review. I will make you a deal. If we hit 400 reviews before January 1st, I will cut down these mentions on the podcast from (laughs) twice an episode to once an episode. And I'll even go some without mentioning it at all. So Chris, let me do some math here. That means 20 three ratings and reviews. If 23 of you do it in the next, what, 32 days or so, that's it, you know, dropping down to one per episode. So that is my promise to you. I can't say that that'll go on forever. Uh, The dog calling me out of my bullshit right here. Maybe you heard that in the background, but no, Uh, we will go to one mention per show. If 23 of you head on over to Apple Podcasts in particular, leave a five-star rating and hopefully a five-star written review as well. And if you have Spotify, if you listen on Spotify, we're very grateful for you as well. The five-star, I can't count them over there, but if you leave those, I'll be super appreciative. So please go ahead and do that. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops. We post polls that you guys can vote in. We tweet about wrestling news and the TV shows all week long. There's every reason in the world to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, welcome to the show. The Silver King is in a bit of a time crunch today. We're not rushing anything, folks. Don't worry. But given we are coming out of Survivor Series War Games, these episodes normally tend to have a little bit less content. Well, that's not actually the case today because we have some WWE Survivor Series War Games fallout to discuss before we get into the main event, before we get into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Before we get to that quickly, How you doing? How's the rest of your weekend? I got to tell you, myself personally, I had an awful Saturday. I bet on I bet on uh, NFL. I did not do well. My worst week of the year. But how was your weekend? You know, I know I know a few people actually who had some pretty terrible betting weekends. So you you weren't alone in that. I I had a good week. I'm back home now, back in Dallas. Made the 13 hour drive back from Indianapolis to Dallas uh, yesterday. Caught the first half of Raw on my phone while driving, which is uh, not recommended. 
and uh, watched the rest when I got home. It was good. Good to see family. Good to be back. Also, again, as we've said, for me, busiest weekend of the year in terms of work because all the coaches in college football get fired on Sunday yep. and Monday. So uh, busy, lots going on, but we're kind of through that now, and I'm feeling refreshed. Well, that's good. And you know what? This time of year, especially for us, you know, moving into bowl season, uh, the college football playoffs, early signing period, which they've decided to throw, you know, right in the middle of both of those things. Uh, you know, getting that refresher is great. You got to refresh yourself that way. I got to sit on my couch and lose a bunch of money on the NFL for the first time all season. So, you know, equally relaxing and equally fruitful. Let's let's put it that way. Chris, uh, let's move to this WWE Survivor Series War Games fallout that I just teased uh, in the intro to the show. First, before we get to that, I, I do want to give, I don't want to call it necessarily a correction, but rather a second chance analysis really briefly on the women's war games match. I told you all I was going to rewatch both the women's match and the men's match, just in case I missed, you know, some nuances or, or some things that I wanted to go over again. And I was a little bit busy during the women's war games match when it was airing live. I was making dinner. I watched the entire thing, but apparently I missed a couple things. So look, I rewatched it. Here are the notes that I wanted to come out with. First of all, the Boston crowd, which I heavily criticized on our instant analysis, they were hot for the women. Um, I missed that, apparently. Some reason I didn't hear it. Now, they were horrendous for the two matches that followed, AJ Styles, Finn Balor, and Ronda Rousey versus Shotzi. But for the women's war games match, they absolutely did pop for a majority of the match. That's a correction I wanted to make. My bad. And also, this one isn't a correction, uh, but Eosky, she sold her absolute ass off. I'm not just talking about like doing moves and taking moves. I'm talking about the selling of moves. The way she put over her other performers in that match was fantastic. And I've said this before. I'll say it again now. Dakota Kai was the MVP of that match in every conceivable way. And the work that we're getting from her in the ring or that we have been getting from her in the ring over the last like three or four weeks, she is 100% back to form. EO Sky is like 95% back to form. I think she had a knee injury. She's still working back. And as we'll talk about a little bit later, Candice LeRae really showed out on Raw as well. So a lot of the uh, curiosities and criticisms um, that we had about the women's division, particularly on Raw, there's still plenty of issues to be um, fixed over on the SmackDown side. But the Raw women's division really impressed me between Survivor Series and Raw itself. And lastly, I'm regrading the match. It was not 4.25 stars. It's a 4.5 star match and an A. Outstanding stuff. I don't know if you had anything, Chris, to say about that match, looking back on it, anything else on the card, but I did want to kind of open the show with that. Not a specific match, but I actually also want to bump up my show grade from B plus to A minus. I rewatched the last match, the, the men's match, and the moment was a lot more impactful upon rewatch than it was live for me. Again, because I was watching three football games at the same time and I had, uh, I had, uh, the war games on my tablet. So it was just a lot going on. Uh, when I was totally focused in on the match, the ending hit even better and actually bumped my show grade up to an A minus. So a correction on that. All right, cool. Now, beyond what we actually saw at Survivor Series War Games, we actually have a little bit of an interesting tidbit to discuss in terms of fallout from the show. Now, multiple reports coming out of Boston noted that Roman Reigns was extremely heated at Kevin Owens backstage and even cursed him out after the match. Now, apparently what happened to Chris is Reigns, I guess, told Owens or suggested to him, 
he may have something going on with his eardrum and it may be ruptured or something. So he specifically asked him not to do certain spots or, or a certain move in the match. And I watched it back. The only thing where Owens and Reigns interacted, where something like that would come into play, is if you remember in the finishing sequence when Reigns, I mean, uh, when Owens slapped Reigns across the face. And that led into mm. the pop a powerbomb, the stunner, that whole sequence, and then the, the fake finish, or the false finish, I should say, where Sami Zayn saved the referee. So he slapped him across the face. Now, Triple H, again, according to reports, we weren't there, uh, told them to work it out in the locker room. And while there was a lot of yelling between both guys, it never got physical. And it's also why Reigns was not at the post-show press conference, and rather it was only Sami Zayn and Paul Heyman. The plan was originally for him to be there. That's according to Fightful. Dave Meltzer came back and reported that this whole thing between Reigns and Owens, it blew over inside of 20 minutes. There's no long-term issue. They're fine working together going forward, et cetera. And you know why that is? Well, first, it's because neither of them are assholes who hold grudges, like a certain someone. But also, this is how a real people manager handles a heated situation between coworkers. You don't let it fester. You don't let them take snide shots at each other in the media or literally in front of a crowd or literally at a press conference in front of other fucking media. You don't let them split the locker room in half. And you certainly don't let a pissed off dude go to a press conference and air out his grievances while you sit there catatonic. What you do is you tell them to be adults, to work it out, to not touch each other. And then you change your press conference plans and you move on with your life. So Good on Triple H for handling it right. I wanted to bring this up because it was a big news story circulating on Monday. And, you know, I don't know if you have any takeaways on it, but I did want to give you the opportunity to weigh in as well. I had completely missed that until you mentioned that. Again, I was driving all day, so I, I missed a number of things. Uh, yeah, wow, that's actually uh, surprising to hear that happened, but also not surprising to see how it may have been worked out. Because instantly, when you think Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens had a disagreement, you're thinking, all right, they're, these guys are probably going to be adults about it. They seem like very mature people and yes. they can get mad at each other and, and they can do different things and they can work it out. And yes, you don't have to have Roman Reigns go to a press conference and then start calling out Kevin Owens and saying he's an unsafe worker or, or all these he, other things. He like shares he a bank account with Sami Zayn. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All that type of stuff. Doesn't have to do the CM Punk at all out thing. And good to hear it's um, uh, in, in the moved past, I guess. Good to uh, hope. Roman Reigns is okay. He obviously wasn't on Raw. I don't know if he was supposed to be. I mean, he's, but, never, he's never on right, Raw. Right, right. But, but, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Just hope everything's okay there. And yeah, I, I think you're right that it does show a clear um, set of ma maturity and leadership. And it's okay to have disagreements and things go wrong. This is how you get past them. And it, it's leadership good. by Triple H. It's also locker room leadership by Roman Reigns. He is yes. the unquestioned locker room leader, like non-kayfabe. That's, that's just the role that he's in. And you need to be the person that sets the example. And that's really, you know, look, there's plenty of stories about The Undertaker back in the day, right? But he also, especially as he got older, set the example for everyone else. And that's now the role that Roman Reigns has taken. And you can't be the locker room leader, <clears throat> CM Punk, and get into fights and talk you know, tear down uh, other prominent members of your company, especially in front of gathered media. So good on Roman Reigns, good on Triple H, good on Kevin Owens for working everything out. Of course, whenever it's behind the scenes stuff, you only know what's reported. You don't necessarily know the 100% truth, but I'm glad it was worked out and there's no repercussions going forward for anybody. That's the biggest 
uh, thing to take away from it, right? So, Chris, uh, look, before we get to the main event, good, bad, ugly, real quick, like, recap of SmackDown and Raw this week. Sometimes we do this, sometimes we don't. I thought SmackDown was an exceptionally strong go-home show. It specifically set up their Survivor Series matches. It made sure it took the time to do that. And not just that, it gave, obviously, another huge layer of storytelling to the main event. When you have a go-home show and you enhance the main event of your uh, premium live event or pay-per-view, you don't just set it up, you enhance it. I mean, you're going to win, you know, A-plus marks, gold stars, whatever you want to call it from me. Other than my disagreement about the Becky Lynch return, I thought it was pretty much a perfect show. If I did have one criticism, there were a lot of like distraction and interference finishes, but they really made sense in context of the program. Meanwhile, Raw, I thought was its strongest episode by far in weeks. And the first 45 minutes, the first hour was commercial free, but the first 45 minutes were as hot of a start to Raw as we have gotten in a long time. Two super entertaining TV shows surrounding Survivor Series. And even though we've been more bullish on the WWE product than certainly we had been for a long period of time, getting two episodes this good in the same week is not something we've had in a while. Yeah, I didn't see SmackDown live, as you may have heard on our on our pre-show Twitter spaces on Saturday. I eventually did catch up on all of it, so I can't speak to the flow of all of it. But Raw was tremendous. I saw some people saying best Raw of the year. I don't I can't okay. remember every I can't remember every Raw this year, but it was a it was a show from start to finish that never dragged. Everything mattered. Everything moved forward. And it was terrific. And it was over. And I was like, Oh, it's it's over. I kind of wanted it to keep going. And that's very hard to do in the three hour raw era. So uh, very good job all around and, and definitely a, a big step forward coming out of Survivor Series slash war games. Yeah, I think that's a fair analysis of raw. Easily top 10 unquestioned raw of the year, probably top five, maybe even in that one, two or three. Echelon, it's so difficult to grade one three-hour television episode against another when you get 52 of them. I guess technically we haven't had 52, but we've already had, you know, how many, what, 47, 48 of them, right, this year? Um, mm-hmm. So it's going to be difficult to grade them apples to apples. Fantastic show, at least in my opinion. Now, Chris, we're going to kick things off today with the main event. We're going to go and break down the biggest things that happened on Raw to start, but we will be covering Raw and SmackDown in the main event and the good, the bad, and the ugly coming up, as I said, as the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast pretends to do. We open this show by sliding into the main event. And today's main event begins, as most do these days in WWE, with the Bloodline. Raw began with the Bloodline guys, Sans Roman Reigns, as you mentioned, strutting backstage. They were all in great moods, huge smiles on their faces. They came out after 45 minutes into the show with Jimmy Uso saying there is no cracks in the bloodline and that makes Kevin Owens mad. Sami Zayn admitted he and Jay did not get along in the past, but what Jay hugging him at Survivor Series was, it was Usi. And they are now officially on the same page. The crowd loved it. Sami reached out his hand to make amends. Jay slapped it away and bear hugged him again. Jimmy joined all three and they were hugging each other and dancing around and jumping when they realized Solo Sokoa is not hugging them as well. So they opened up their hug and stuck their arms out and tried to convince him. And Solo Sokoa was on the brink of snapping. 
in uh, storyline in terms of like breaking and going and doing it. But he was also on the cusp of breaking in reality, like laughing at the entire thing. When luckily, I guess for him, Kevin Owens music hit and KO interrupted. Owens didn't blame Zayn for what he did, given all the times that Kevin's turned on Sammy throughout their 20 years together. Uh, KO said their careers have been linked for two decades, but he just he doesn't want to fight him anymore. He doesn't want to team with him or ride with him to shows and cars or anything like that. He just wants nothing to do with him anymore. Sammy agreed. Owens then said the bloodline calling Zayn family and having his back doesn't matter because he's not real blood to them and he never will be. Jay said KO now has a problem with him because he's talking shit about Sammy. And Owens confirmed, yeah, I'm done with Zayn. I'm not done, though, with the bloodline and he wanted to fight. I thought this was the perfect follow-up to Survivor Series. And best of all, it made complete sense in kayfabe why Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn would kind of take on this new version of their storyline. Because there's no way KO could legitimately be mad at Sami for doing to him exactly what Owens has done to Zayn throughout their entire careers multiple different times. It would be entirely hypocritical, and he's the babyface. And in real life, when a relationship ends, when a friendship ends, it usually fizzles out where you just stop talking to that person. Even if you still have to be around them, you just stop really connecting. The booking was so based in reality that I actually thought it was kind of impressive for a wrestling show for once. That's the way like it came off to me. Beyond that, everyone involved played their roles perfectly, especially Jay. He was the MVP of the segment. And they somehow created another mini cliffhanger in this long-term storyline focused on Sokoa and whether he's going to like break and laugh with them and be old jovial or if he's going to be stoic and serious along with Roman Reigns. So I just liked this. I liked it a lot. I like it. I like it a lot. The one thing I've always said about Kevin Owens and what makes him stand out so much on the mic is that he 100% sounds like a real person. He always talks like a real person would talk. It never sounds like a scripted promo. And that's exactly what that was and why, like you said, it kind of felt different on a wrestling show because you're Mm -hmm. expecting these like broad claims of of kind of projecting out to make say these big things. And instead you're just like, nah, man, I just, I don't want to hang out anymore. (laughs) Like that's how we said it. And it it totally works. It totally made sense. Mm -hmm. And if, if you, if you think about it, it was kind of heelish for, for the way Kevin Owens did that to be like, I turned on you so many times you turn on me. Fine. I don't want to play anymore. And I'm, I'm happy that you got your new, I'm happy that you got your new friends, but they, but, but they, they don't they actually ain't like you. Yeah. yeah like he was still kind of like yeah. it, it worked, but he was still kind of being the dick Kevin Owens is just in a different way. If you kind of looked into the, the subtext of all that, but this well, it's was like, a, a, it, sorry to interrupt you, but it's like in yeah. college when like your best friend or maybe not your best friend, but a, a good friend uh, gets a new girlfriend and they just stop hanging out with you. And you're like, all right, dude, Hang out with her. It's not going to last. You know that it's not going to last with this chick <laughs> yeah. for one reason or another. You know, let me know when your ass comes around. That's basically what Kevin Owens is saying. He's like, look, yeah. you know, have fun doing this shit that you're doing. You got some friends. Cool. Good for you. They ain't your family. They're going to drop your ass. Don't come crawling back to me when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it was it was good. It was a great follow up to what we got on Survivor Series. Like you said, it laid, I don't know, a cliffhanger, but it kind of put a little bit out there that it's still going to be in the back of your mind the whole time, whether or not they truly will accept Sammy and, and credit to Jay for doing that. Like when Jay was like, when you step up, when, when you 
when you step up to Sammy, you step up to all of us. I was like, oh man, like that's that is heartwarming. That's the story. That there's that's why the dynamics of all this are mm-hmm. so unique, and why we talked about on the instant analysis of why this is probably the best pro wrestling story in at least a decade because you've got heel and face dynamics on both sides because it's an interpersonal conflict. And that's what real interpersonal conflict is like. And that's why we connect to it. And it also makes total sense too, because this is the guy Jay who he just won over. Think about Jay Uso uh, when he's main event or not, sorry, before he was main event Jay Uso, when he was feuding with Roman Reigns, when Reigns was trying to break him and getting, get Jay to acknowledge him as the tribal chief, the head of the table, all that type of stuff. He was rebellious against him, right? Mm-hmm. Every single thing that happened, even when Reigns was beating him down, he wouldn't buy into it. And then eventually, Reigns won him over. Now, Reigns was by brutal force and through psychological means, right? Breaking him down, gaslighting him, all that type of stuff. But once he did, Jay was ride or die from for Roman from that moment forward. He never again questioned that dynamic. And that's now what's happening with Sammy. He questioned him over and over again for months upon months, Everything he did, even when it was good, Jay wouldn't believe that it was real. And then he finally did something where it snapped in Jay's brain. And he's like, you know, yep, this guy's with us. No doubt. He's a brother. He's maybe blood in his mind. Now I ride or die for him as well. And you can't say shit to this guy without dealing with me directly. So I just thought that was like such a great juxtaposition between the way Reigns broke him through brutal force and psychology and the way Sammy broke him which was the opposite through compassion, empathy, and Mm -hmm. having his back, which is something that Roman Reigns really didn't do. It was kind of the opposite, right? I I found that so intriguing, such a great part of the storyline. And yet, look, again, you know, it it gets, it has to get annoying to the listeners. Like, this is the greatest storyline in wrestling. It is. It just is. It's the greatest storyline in wrestling. It's the greatest storyline in modern wrestling. And I don't say that including Attitude Era. I say since Attitude Era. It's just extraordinary. And the fact that we get to see it play out the way we do and that we're so lucky to have wrestlers who can legitimately act the way yeah. that Sami Zayn and Jay Uso and Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens, by the way, can. And that's not to shit on Jimmy or Solo. They're just a smaller part of the storyline. But those four guys right now are absolutely crushing this. And it continued in the main event. Do you have anything else to say or should I move on? I just want to say to the point about Solo Sokoa, I, I love what he's doing. Like mm-hmm. he has brought so much to that group in just a different way, just off to the side, quiet by himself. He's the ass kicker. He's the serious guy you don't mess with. And it's like we have all these like cool, you know, Samoan wrestlers in the group, but we kind of don't have the like enforce one you don't want to cross again, kind of the scary one. And that's exactly what he is. A guy coming up from NXT, young guy, hasn't been with the company all that long. He is absolutely nailing his role. Yeah, and I think, look, I was excited to see Solo Sokoa uh, join the main roster because I had watched him in NXT and I loved the work he was doing in NXT. But I think we as you know wrestling fans saw Drew McIntyre, a clash at the castle against Roman Reigns, and we saw, we saw and heard the way the crowd was reacting. And we're just like, you got, you got to change the title here. Like, it's, yeah. it's too perfect of a moment to not do it. And then Solo Sokoa came out and we're like, oh, man, they, there was another guy. And, and mm-hmm. it's such a kind of garbage way to do it. But in retrospect, you look back on it, and yes, I still kind of do wish in some ways that Drew won, and I wish there was one title on the line and they split them. There's so many things they could have done. But that moment, introducing Solo Sokoa that way, the way they've built him up since, basically being unstoppable when he's in singles matches, a force when he's in tag team or multi-person matches, and dominant, the people he's going against 
Solo Sokoa is fighting people like Kevin Owens, Drew McIntyre, Sheamus. You know, it, it, he's not fighting he, the underlings. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's he, going he, after he, the big dogs. He's the muscle. He's he, the muscle of the group. He's doing spinning solo on Drew McIntyre through a table in the main event of Survivor Series. I mean, this, this guy is getting everything you could possibly want to get as a first-year rookie on the main roster. It's awesome to see the way they're building him. He is going to be a force in WWE for years to come, whether with his family or without. doesn't really matter. He's going to be great. Or he already is great. He's going to get even better. Uh, so let's go to the main event of Raw, Chris. We had Kevin Owens against Jey Uso. That was the scheduled match. So they did this. I thought it was interesting. They didn't book this in the first 15 minutes of the show. They booked it in the last 15 minutes of the first hour and then paid it off as the main event. That's not normal WWE operation. I liked it even more. It allowed the show to start hot, still gave us a tease, and then still paid it off in the main event. I thought that was really cool. So we got uh, Jay and KO, as I said. Owens went through most of his signatures early. Jay had a pop-up neck breaker later. KO countered the superplex into the avalanche fisherman suplex. I love when he does that spot. Jay came back with a super kick and then a jumping super kick for a false finish. Jay then countered the stunner with a third super kick for a third false finish. KO caught a fourth super kick attempt. He reversed it into a super kick of his own. Then his back gave out trying a pop-up powerbomb. So Jay actually landed a fourth super kick for another false finish. The crowd is going apeshit now. KO super kicked Jimmy from the apron. When the referee pulled Jay off of Owens inside, he was like, getting a little too aggressive. Sokoa tripped KO on the apron. And that to me said, well, the bloodline's going to win. Jay's going to beat KO, right? That's how it always goes. Instead, he dodged Jay's Uso splash and he hit an immediate stunner on him for the one, two, three in a 22 minute main event. The bloodline went into a frenzy and all of this ended less than 30 seconds before Raw went off the air. This was an outstanding match and a great close to a great Raw. The whole episode flowed really well together. And this was the perfect cherry on top, the perfect capper to the entire thing. I was actually pleasantly surprised to see Owens get a win four on one with that type of disadvantage. They easily could have done a distraction or interference. Instead, Kevin Owens won this match like Stone Cold Steve Austin used to win the match. And I'm not saying just because of the stunner. It was against all odds, total adversity. It's just, he's that much of a badass and he's that good in the ring. He's able to overcome that disadvantage. He won clean. He got a huge reaction. And even though I'm sure they didn't plan it this way, it was kind of old school WWE that the match ended with like 10, 15 seconds of television left. Because like KO, he got the pin, he ran out of the ring. And then even, you know, commentary have been very critical. But the way Raw went off the air, they did like that JR oh, this was incredible. Kevin Owens got the win. We'll see you next week. It was like one of those moments that really gets you excited after three hours of watching a show. I went 4.25 stars and an A for this match. I thought it was fantastic. That's exactly why I said earlier that the show ended and I was like, oh, wait, that's it? <laughs> like, because yeah. you were so into it. I was literally thinking last week about that, about the Tony Schiavone, we're out of time. We'll see it on Thunder. We'll see you next week. And it was like, Man, wrestling shows used to always end with with excitement and chaos. And I was like, you can't really do that anymore because you've got social media. You put it on there or someone posts what happened after the show. You don't really have that cliffhanger to end a show like you used to. I was literally thinking about this last week and how, and how nice that was. So then for Raw to then end like this, like Kevin Owens gets the pin. Oh, man, people are going crazy. All right, we'll see you. Like, wait, like I loved it. It was just like it ended you on a high. It wasn't it didn't get you to a high. 
then kind of settle you back down and then go away. It got you to that high and then stepped away. And that's a, that's that's an exciting feeling to end the show. And I I I don't know I don't know if the match went long and they just had to to, to go or, or what, but it was it was an exciting finish. Match was great, like you said. There's nothing really more to say because we went over the whole storyline already. Mm-hmm. But really fun match, really fun, exciting finish to the show. Now I do have a few more items to discuss in the universe of the bloodline, and then we'll get to the good, the bad, and the ugly. First, for me right now, there is no doubt in my mind that we're going to get Owens, not Sheamus, challenging Reigns at Royal Rumble. Like, it would have been nice for Sheamus to get his title match. Um, It seems like that storyline is incomplete without Sheamus, Reigns, one-on-one. Yeah, War Games did end it, no question, in terms of faction versus faction. But Sheamus not getting to fight Reigns for the title after everything that happened between all of them it seems to me kind of like the Shinsuke Nakamura situation. Like Nakamura, it was pretty obvious, or I thought at least, he was going to get a title shot. And then they just didn't do it. Now, let's not forget, there are two months between now and Royal Rumble. So if they're going to hold off Owens and Reigns for Rumble, that's totally fine. I would love to see Sheamus get his title match on television, maybe the Christmas SmackDown or something like that, which is which was a huge show last year that WWE put together. I would do that again. Give Sheamus that match at the end of December, huge TV match, hopefully a big rating, and then you give KO the match at the Royal Rumble. So I just hope that happens. But right now, Chris, it's clearly Owens bloodline. That's the story. Him and Zayn, um, you know, that entire situation. I don't see them moving away from that before the Royal Rumble. And it does seem like this may even be the storyline going into WrestleMania. It could even present an opportunity where Sammy doesn't help Roman against Kevin which pisses him off, leads to the split. There's just, there's a lot that can still happen, but my projection over the next two months is Reigns-Owens Royal Rumble. I think you're probably right, but the date that I have in mind and I keep in the back of my head is not the Royal Rumble in January. It's Elimination Chamber, which they made a point to say during Raw that tickets go on sale this week and we know where Elimination Chamber is. It's in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And so it feels like that is that has to be the place where Sammy saves Kevin Owens. Something big is going to happen with the two of them at Elimination Chamber. Does that mean Kevin Owens loses and they're all beating him up and then Sammy saves him? I I don't know. Does that mean Roman does that mean Kevin Owens gets the title shot at the Rumble and at Elimination Chamber? I don't know. I don't really know what's going to happen over the next two months. It does feel like Kevin Owens now, but I feel like Kevin Owens has to be in the picture, at least around Elimination Chamber. That's what I keep thinking about. And that's possible. I mean, we were potentially thinking they do Sammy and Kevin against the Usos uh, at that show, given it's in Montreal. I think it's more likely that there's the moment of them rekindling at in that show. And I think that is where that could come into play, where it's like, you're right, where maybe they do Reigns and Sheamus at Royal Rumble. It's just that two months to get to Reigns and Sheamus when that's already the storyline. That is a long ass time to wait for that match. They could also do a rematch situation where KO main events two shows against Roman Reigns. Like he gets screwed the first one, so he gets a Mm -hmm. rematch. And then Reigns just absolutely beats the ever-loving shit out of him even after the bell and and Sammy pulls Reigns off of KO in that, you know, in the post-match or something like that. And then that's where the split happens and you get KO and Sammy getting back together and they pop, get that huge pop 
in front of the Montreal crowd. And then that leads into them doing a tag team match at WrestleMania. There's so many different ways you're right where this could go down. Um, and we don't have the answers. And that's kind of what's exciting. Like we think we know, but every time we think we know something in the storyline, it doesn't happen or, or it, there's a swerve or a change of plans. Um, not change of plans in that they're changing the storyline, but what we think the plans are don't go the way that we expect them to. So mm-hmm. look, it's exciting. It's what it's part of the reason why this is such a good uh, storyline, why it's the most exciting thing in wrestling right now. And yeah, we'll have to see what happens as it moves forward. But I, I will stick with my overall projection, at least as it stands. And look, we will kind of find out what happens going forward. That's really the best way that I can say it. Uh, you know, the other thing to consider really quick is Roman Reigns may not even defend the title at Elimination Chamber. Like once he defends at the Royal Rumble, his next title defense may be WrestleMania. Could be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we don't. I mean, well, they usually put the title on the line in the chamber, though, don't they? Well, so normally uh, there's one men's Royal Rumble winner and the other Elimination Chamber match generally is for the other yeah. number one contendership. That's but true. because there's only one champion and there's already going to be a Royal Rumble winner, it would probably make sense for Roman Reigns to put the title up in the men's Elimination Chamber match. However, the other option, and this has certainly happened before, is you can do a tag team Elimination Chamber. You can do a mid-card championship Elimination Chamber for the men. So they definitely have options. Yeah, last year, last year, Brock Lesnar won the belt or defended the belt, one or the other, in the chamber. and then said afterward, let's do the title uh, unification, if I have that right, yeah. Okay. Uh, two more things, and then we'll move to the good, the bad, the ugly. Brett Charles Malam, at Brett underscore Malam, he wrote in, what's your theory on Roman's motivation with Sammy? What's his end game From a big picture perspective, why would he think he and Jay bickering for so long would be helpful to the bloodline, even if it was all ultimately a ruse against Sammy? I love this storyline, but I've been thinking about what Roman gains from a kayfabe perspective. To add my thoughts, since I'm asking this question, maybe Roman's done this to prove he can bend even a non-blood related person to his will and turn against his best friend, no less. So this is what I'll say, Brett. So first of all, he's already proven that because he's done it with Paul Heyman. So he doesn't necessarily need to do it with Sammy as well. I'm not sure, though, Chris, this is more deep than Sammy being like a useful idiot in his eyes, like a court jester who makes him laugh, but is also proven to be loyal and dedicated to his cause. Like, the court jester who is also the food taster for the king, right? He'll put himself on the line. And if he dies, he dies. Like, who cares? You know what I mean? Uh, Sammy ingratiated himself to Roman directly. You have to remember when this all started by doing his bidding for him when the Usos couldn't be there. And Reigns appreciates when people acknowledge him of their own volition, like Sammy did and like Solo did. Don't forget, he had to physically and mentally break Jay. Jimmy took some convincing. It was easier, but he still took some convincing. Sammy was all in from Jump Street. So that's the way I look at it. I don't know that it's deeper than that from a kayfabe perspective. It's just, hey, he's a useful idiot. He's fully dedicated to me. Why wouldn't I utilize him? Yeah, he's using him and he's accumulating power. The more people who bend the knee to Roman Reigns, the less people there are to fight against him. (laughs) And especially when it comes to Kevin Owens, who Roman had a long, uh, tough feud with, having Sami Zayn on his side can kind of keep Kevin Owens distracted, keep, you know, keep uh, him focused over there, someone to step in line to save him from from Kevin Owens. So if we're if we're talking philosophically, I think it's it's just kind of partly pride and and accumulation of, of power and just using him. Yeah, I'm with you on that. 
Uh, before we move on, I was thinking about this inevitable bloodline breakup, and we've obviously booked the damn territory one way. We've talked about it, the bloodline turning on Sammy, uh, KO being there for him, winning the tag team titles off the Usos, Cody Rhodes winning the Royal Rumble, beating Reigns. I was just starting to think Monday night, just because that's so predictable, and what we've been talking about right now is the unpredictability in many ways of this storyline. Just because that's predictable doesn't mean it's right. So what do you think about this? We'll book the damn territory just briefly before we move on. With Jay now fully buying into Sammy, and obviously Jimmy already has, and Solo seems to be on Sammy's side, even though he's recently become a little bit more cool. What if this takes a turn, this entire storyline, where Roman makes a move that splits the rest of the family from him, as opposed to Sammy being the one that splits away from the family. I mentioned this part in the instant analysis, but what if Reigns saw Zayn turn on Owens and he realized, like, I can no longer trust this guy because he just ended a 20-year relationship with his best friend on a whim because I told him to. What if Roman at some point attacks Sammy without informing the rest of the bloodline and because they all now love him, he pisses off all of them? That could lead to the Usos getting Sammy's back in a key moment, perhaps even being a catalyst to Sammy Zayn winning a number one contendership or even beating Reigns for the title. Like that would be an incredible storyline if it was executed, whereas Sammy is now the de facto leader of the bloodline. But I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, a second chance booking the damn territory thing before we move on. What do you think about that storyline? If I saw that happen, I would think, oh, Roman Reigns is going away for a very long time <laughs> and that this is the way they kind of keep everybody alive without Roman is that they is that they basically Roman kind of leaves the group as opposed to the group breaking up. Um, well, he he does I, something that forces the split is what is really more of what I'm saying. Well, not a split. It's him splitting from them, but they're all together, right? That's what Well, no, saying. I mean, he in this situation, the what I'm proposing, he does something and he's the tribal chief head of the table. So whatever he does everyone should follow along with him. He does something. He attacks Sammy. We can't trust this guy. And the rest, everyone else is like, like questions his leadership. Right. And then, then eventually he the, turns but on But then him. he said, yeah, but the, yeah, then he said the Usos come to Sammy's aid. So they're all still together, kind of. It's just, I would think, oh, Roman Reigns is not going to be in WWE for like a year. And this is the way. Well, it's, I'm just saying it's one thing for a person to split from a group, like to turn on the group. It's another thing for a person to do something where the rest of the group excommunicates yeah, no, that. I, I, yeah, so that's I what I'm trying it, to say. It, it would it would just it would be a desperate Roman on his last legs. And, and you know, I like I get it. I don't I don't I'm not don't saying it's genius. It. I'm just yeah, no, I, I'm I trying to present it. an alternative just, to what we've been talking it, about for in, a year, in terms you know? of what we've been talking about. I keep thinking and we've kind of stopped talking about it. But like I just thought recently that like. I don't know. We don't know if it is or isn't happening yet, but I have no idea how you get the rock into the story. And I kind of hope you don't now. Like, it's been such a good story that we don't need it. It would kind of take away from what's been told. We do. We don't know if it's happening or, or not, I guess. But, you know, we, we've all fantasy booked Cody Rhodes to be the one to do it or something. So I, I still don't know how this ends. Well, how do you get the rock? How do you get the rock into the story? You do everything that I just said. And the bloodline, Jimmy, Jay and Solo recruit him. Yeah, like, but it, but it, I that's how it would work. But he would so overshadow everybody else that I that I actually kind of don't like it. Because no, Solo's I, I think up. it's very right, right, I think right. it's cool. very complicated right now. Yeah, to get the rock into the storyline with Roman Reigns, I do agree. 
Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's not happening. I, I don't know. But or The other thing also, it's too. very simple too. The Rock sees the way Roman is treating his family, especially Jay. And he's, he says, hey man, like, what are you doing here? Like, you're, you can be the head of the table. You can be the tribal chief, but you don't need to treat people this way. This is blood. This is family. You know, you're not a king. You're not a conqueror. You're the head of the table, but you have a responsibility to protect them. And Reigns takes offense to that. And then they start a feud. I mean, there's, you can get Rock involved. I'm not worried about, you know, a storyline that would involve the, rock, the Rock's yeah. creativity and ability on the mic, Paul Heyman's creativity and ability on the mic, Triple H's creativity, and Roman Reigns' creativity and ability on the mic. I'm right. not concerned it, about them making yeah. that work. Like, it could it would, work. The, rock, the Rock's gravitational pull, though, would just, like, take all the attention. If we would not care about Sammy, Kevin, it would be hard if they're, yes. if they're behind The Rock. It's about the rock. This is kind of how it is. Well, we saw that in Black Adam, as we talked about a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, it's just kind of what's just kind of what the rock is. So I, I don't know. Again, I just want to throw that out. in terms of how this finishes. You're right. We don't exactly know yet, and that is still something to keep in mind that it could go a lot of different. Ways. The rock situation is exactly why the booking that we actually have been talking about for a long time, with Sammy and Kevin eventually fighting the Usos for the tag team titles. You're removing them from the Roman Reigns portion of the storyline, it opens the door both for the Royal Rumble winner, potentially Cody Rhodes, and The Rock, especially if you have Roman Reigns uh, fight on two consecutive nights. I, I've always you know, imagined main event night one, Rock, Roman Reigns, Roman beats Rock. Main event mm -hmm. night two, Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes. He just beat The Rock, guys exhausted, beaten down, gives him an excuse to drop the titles to Cody. That's always been my booking. Yeah. So we'll see if we get there. It's WrestleMania. It's Los Angeles. I don't know how you don't do it. Um, but look, Dwayne's shooting schedule, you never know, right? It may be difficult. They may have to push it to 40. We'll find out. Or they don't do it at all. You never know. All right, Chris, that was a extended main event on this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Let's now discuss everything else that happened across Raw and SmackDown this week by moving to the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, so Becky Lynch opened Raw. So glad to be back. She literally climbed into the crowd. She dapped up a ton of fans and spoke to some of them directly while talking about taking care of business against both the veterans in Raw on the roster in WWE and the newbies. Bailey interrupted. She was limping. Becky started singing, here she comes to ruin the day. And I don't know if anyone got that it was a Mighty Mouse reference. I used to watch that cartoon when I was a kid, so I thought that was really funny. Uh, Bailey got major heat. She got drowned out by a really loud Becky chant as she was talking about fans having no appreciation for her. Becky was so over the crowd twice chanted for a random fan named Bob, who she spoke to during this segment. Lynch called Bailey a loser, and she went to fight her. She was walking down the steps out of the crowd to go back to the ring and fight Bailey one on one. When suddenly Dakota Kai and Io Sky, who was wearing a neck brace, walked down the stairs from the top of the bomb and attacked her from behind. Bailey chased, and Becky fought them one on three into the concourse. Lynch and Bailey used toys from a merchandise booth, including, I think it was a Money in the Bank lunchbox, which by the way, if you're a WWE fan and you have a kid, 
who's, you know, in whatever lower school or middle school, I guess not middle school, but lower school, that's a pretty damn cool lunchbox to have. So uh, anyway, she hit, I think it was Becky hit Bailey over the back with it, or maybe it was vice versa. They used this big chain that had WWE logo on it. They're using all the merchandise um, and eventually security and referees broke them up. This was just hot as hell as an opener to the show. Like what a kick-ass start to Raw. Other than Becky holding her own for way too long in a one-on-three disadvantage, that was silly. This was a tremendous opening segment. Now, to be fair, now that I'm kind of thinking about it, Bailey was limping, EO was in a neck brace, and Dakota's shoulder was taped up. So maybe there's a little bit of an excuse for why it was one-on-three. Also, they didn't go the easy route and just have Asuka and Alexa Bliss come out and even the sides because we don't want to see that anymore, right? So that was a huge positive. Uh, but it was a little silly to still for to see her hold her own and not get demolished one on three. This was in Norfolk, Virginia, not exactly a major city, but the crowd was on fire for Becky. If the fans she spoke to were not plants, they crushed their parts as well. Just doing that off the cuff, good on them. From the pop for Becky to the heat for Bailey, this was an almost perfectly executed segment. A plus, obviously good. It was also a reminder that Becky is a absolute killer baby face. Like I was fine with her yeah. heel run, but this is why so many people were not. She is literally the definition of WWE superstar. Yes. By the way, crowd, you're right. Crowd, the Norfolk scope, awesome crowd. They were they were just electric, I thought, for pretty much the entire night. And look, we talk about cheap heat, easy way to get a boo. Look, an easy way to get a cheer is to go into the crowd and talk about, hey, I'm here in the crowd. And like, it, it's easy stuff, but it works. And it works because it connects you with them. And that and Becky doing what she did in the crowd is exactly why she connects with the crowd so much. This entire thing was great. Uh, I agree. It's nice to have Becky back as the, she's the baby face. She's there with the people, but she's also like, all right, let's fight now. I'll go and fight you. Like she's, she's, she's still kind of tough in the, in that setup. And you're right. The one on three, is it weird? Yes and no. Becky's, you know, WrestleMania main event winner. Like she can do that. Damage control, as we've talked about, not that threatening. We already saw Bianca beat damage control one on three, essentially at one point. So Becky can do that too. I was dreading Asuka, Bianca. I know, me too. In that, and, and, and Alexa was coming out because I kept, I've been saying for weeks, I'm just done with them as a group or involved in this. So when they didn't come out and it was just Becky, I was like, all right, I like it. Entire thing was good. All right. Uh, Candice LeRae returned to Raw walking backstage with Nikki Cross. I don't know if everyone caught this. Sneaking from behind a road case to watch her as she was walking. Candace was angry about damage control attacking her from a couple weeks ago and taking her out. And she said, I'm going to reintroduce myself as the woman who will take out Dakota Kai. So we got LeRae versus Kai about an hour later. Candace attacked Dakota on the ramp during a picture in picture break with damage control eventually running out. LeRae did a great running face buster on Kai into the apron. Candace got caught with a huge kick trying a tope. After commercial, LeRae hit a hook German suplex. With a bridge, uh, Kai hit a scorpion kick and a GTK with Candice kicking out of the finish. Commentary, which once again was terrible on this show, completely missed the call of the GTK, which is one of her finishers. It was pitiful. It was supposed to be this huge false finish that the babyface Candice LeRae got out of, and it was sold as if it was just another move and another near fall. Uh, LeRae then hit a swinging neckbreaker avalanche style off the ropes and got the win. This was a tough booking because 
they gave a lot of time to a women's match with an unfamiliar competitor in Candice. Like, yeah, she's been on TV, but she hasn't really been booked like that well or that extensively. She doesn't really have any character or storyline right now. And Dakota Kai, she's been on TV plenty with damage control, but still relatively newer. She's not some established name like a Becky Lynch, right? Or even an Italia to that degree. And they also did it in hour three when the crowd is more tired than it is in hour one or two. But if you listened, you could hear the crowd get slightly louder and a little bit louder as this match progressed. This is a paradigm of how you get someone over in the ring. I was frustrated that Candace said she was gonna reintroduce herself and actually didn't say anything to reintroduce herself. This is what I am, this is what I'm about. But the idea was to let her wrestling do the talking. And guess what? It did. She's one of the best workers on the main roster right now from like a skill level standpoint. And this was actually the best match on Raw until we got to the Kevin Owens and uh, Jay Uso main event. I'm not suggesting that LeRae is now mega over or that they don't have more work to do with her. They have plenty more work to do with her, especially from a character standpoint. This was just the first step, but it was a hell of a good first step. Yeah, it was like, this is just how you introduce her. I I thought she might be the surprise person to join the War Games team. I'm glad she didn't, but it was a good catch up on what happened. They reminded us it was like a month ago or so. Hey, remember this, what happened to Candice LeRae? She's back here to talk about it and she's a great wrestler and that's what she's going to be. And she even said like, hey, I joined Raw and I haven't really done anything and then I got beat up. So now I'm going to kind of change things here. Made total sense. Really good match. Got time which had kind of been an issue with, with uh, women for a bit. And uh, yeah, definitely a good. On this show, two long women's matches and a mixed tag team match for the women. I mean, we were t- there was like a Raw not that far, not that long ago, where there was one women's match and it was five minutes. And this is under Triple mm-hmm. H. And we got two that I don't have the exact time on me. Maybe you can look it up. But I think they might have totaled 25 or 30 minutes, the two women's singles matches, plus the mixed tag team match that we'll talk about later. So just very, very uh, good and impressive stuff. Now, I said we're going to talk about everything that happened on Raw and SmackDown, but Chris, we're actually going to talk about something that happened on Thanksgiving as well, because uh, Michael Cole on SmackDown did an incredible introduction, relaying his absolute disgust before showing a video of Dominic Mysterio and Rhea Ripley invading Thanksgiving and attacking Rey Mysterio when they were turned away at the door. This was incredible. Dom bringing his evil goth girlfriend to a Mexican family holiday dinner. I've been told by multiple listeners, people DM'd me this, because I wouldn't know. Look, I'm a white dude, right? You know, I'm not gonna know. That the reaction of, um, I don't know, uh, unfortunately, Ray's wife's name off the top of my head, but the reaction of Ray's wife and the family to Dom bringing Rhea to dinner was super authentic. And the way this went down with Ray, like shown initially, quickly shoving his mask on because they obviously weren't expecting visitors, (laughs) let alone a camera. Dom breaking a picture frame over his head. Dom snapping a broomstick that for a split second, I thought he like grabbed a kendo stick out of the closet. So did I. And I was like, oh my God, that's the most incredible thing that Ray has a kendo stick in the house. It was a broomstick. (laughs) It still worked. But he did it over Ray's injured ankle. And then Cole on SmackDown, making it even better by selling it all as despicable. It was exceptional professional wrestling sports entertainment. Michael Cole channeled his Attitude Era 
Jim Ross. Like I forgot who it was off the top of my head. I don't know why it's I'm blanking, but he used to like call someone a Jezebel and he would scream, how dare they do this? This is disgusting. You know, these are the worst people in the world. And Michael Cole 100% became Jim Ross introducing and coming out of this segment. This was probably one of the best things any wrestling company has done this year outside of the ring. Obviously it's a good. Definitely, definitely a good Rhea talking to 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 Ray's wife. Like the whole thing was funny. And you're right. I kept thinking about Jim Ross calling some woman a Jezebel or something like that. Like, yeah, this was good. It was creative. We've seen a lot more outside the ring stuff with Triple H. Obviously, the NXT parking lot is one of the most dangerous places to be in the world. That has started to transition up to the main roster and try different things, try to, uh, you know, just filming stuff outside of the ring. And it totally works. Loved it. That was a good one, yeah. So speaking of Rhea Ripley, the other women's match, the first one that we got on the show, was Rhea Ripley against Mia Yim. Now, this immediately followed the Becky lynch Bailey segment, which means the first, like, I don't know, 30 minutes of Raw was all women's wrestling, which was very refreshing and, and pretty awesome. Uh, Ripley overpowered Yim early. Ripley countered Eat Defeat into a Riptide, but Mia countered back into a DDT. After seven minutes... Dominic Mysterio distracted and got thrown into the ring with Ripley catching him from behind. AJ Styles then ran down and the referee called no contest before they actually ran into the women. That was a little bit off, but the rest of Judgment Day and eventually the OC ran down. Styles said this has to end tonight and he issued an eight man tag team challenge. Judgment Day ran back into the ring for a brawl and the bell eventually rang with Styles and Balor fighting one on one. So we got the OC plus Mia Yim against the Judgment Day. When Ripley tagged, she got three shots on Carl Anderson before quickly tagging out. Luke Gallows tackled Damian Priest into the announce table. Styles knee Dom in the face and hit his flip over inverted DDT on Finn Balor with Ripley breaking the fall. Dom saved Priest from the magic killer. Priest hit Gallows with South of Heaven. Styles hit Priest with a phenomenal forearm. Michin body slammed Balor to a huge pop, but Ripley saved Dom from her and hit Riptide, then she stacked Mia for her very unique pinfall in 15 minutes. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. The Ripley-Yim singles match was really solid. The crowd got up for some spots. The brawl was super hot. And even though they did the typical transition into a multi-person match, everyone in the crowd wanted the match badly. And they ran it immediately. They did not delay it until the main event of the show. This started slow, but it was fired down the stretch. The lack of tagging late in the mixed match It irked me, but that's a very rare issue in WWE. And because the match was mixed, that made it a little bit more acceptable because generally you only have the women fighting each other and the men fighting each other. All the parts, the matches, the bits in between, all of them were good. It was a really fun first 45 minutes of Raw. And it was great also, Chris, to see Mia Yim get featured in this way. She's going to be a big part of this division. And even though Ripley obviously was the star in the match, Mia Yim got some great reactions for someone who just came back to WWE and was never on the main roster, except for like two appearances as Reckoning, which we kind of want to forget. She's not necessarily going to be a main eventer in the women's division, but an upper mid-carder for sure. This was just an awesome, awesome two-match, three-part segment. Yeah, normally I don't like... uh, Oh, we're having a match, people interfere. Oh, we're going to do the tag match. But... It made sense here because of the faction warfare that's been going on. And I was frankly surprised they just kind of gave us the whole thing right then and there. Like we had been wondering, 
you know, is this going to be this big eight person match at some point? And we're just like, no, we're doing it now and we're going for it. And that kept up the energy throughout the, this was in the first hour of the show, right? Was this the second yeah, This was the first 45 minutes of the show. No, no commercials. Yeah. After the, after the, after the brawl to open the show, right? With Becky. So it yeah. started. Yeah, with, so I, I said, I yeah. said this while I was breaking down the match. You need to pay attention. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, yeah uh, Becky and Bailey started. Then but yeah, their I was just trying, I'm just trying to say yeah. that. Yeah. The, it really yeah. kept the energy going. Like it just, it, 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 it was hot after the opening segment. This kept it going. Mia Yim, like you said, got great uh, attention, got cheers. She's really fitting in this calling her Meechin Mia Yim instead of just Meechin, I think works because I think people were kind of confused by it. So you can kind of work with both here. Uh, this was great. This was awesome. One thing that did confuse me a bit here was commentary, and I'm really not trying to like, you know, get on them, but this is like a legitimate confusion. So after the bell, they suggested the feud was far from over, but this came 15 minutes after Styles said the feud needed to end in this match. So which is it? Is it over? Does Ripley beating Yim not count as a way to end the feud? Is it 1-1 now because Styles beat Balor, so they have to do a rubber match? What else are they going to do? Like, maybe commentary screwed up, but because both Kevin Patrick and Corey Graves kept repeating, this isn't over, it seemed purposeful to me. And this is starting to go too long. But I really think I'd be okay with another few weeks as long as this ends before 2022 is out and we get fresh storylines in January. What do you think? Yeah, because I like I was like I said, I was surprised we got the whole thing, and then when it ended, I was like, "Is that it? Like, like what? What are these two groups building toward now? You know, like like there's not some championship or some big thing at the end. There's no revenge that needs to be had. They were just kind of fighting with each other, and then one of them beat them. So like, it really feels next? like. Tell me if I'm wrong. Doesn't it feel like the lo- like it should be like a loser leaves town where the group that loses goes to SmackDown? Yeah, maybe. Like I mean, we can't got, coexist on the show together. I mean, like yeah, that? over on SmackDown, you've got the Bloodline, you've got Hit Row, you've got Brawling uh, Brutes, Fantasma, yeah. So there's like it's it's kind of hub because there's a lot of factions going on right now or groups going on right now. I don't I, I don't know. I just you're right. Either it kind of has to wrap up here and move on, or we got to add something big to the story because now now that we've done this, I don't really know where it goes from here. Yeah. So two more things before we move on. First, uh, WWE has largely shied away from intergender wrestling, but the pops that they got in this match from Ripley against Anderson and him against Balor, not to mention Ripley previously body slamming Luke Gallows a couple weeks ago, the pops were enormous. And I'm of Mm -hmm. the mind that intergender wrestling should be used sparingly because that's what makes it more special when it does happen. If you have an intergender match, Every show, like the China when she was fighting guys, eventually it, it wore on you. And you're like, all right, yeah, it's a smaller guy. China's going to beat him. Like, you know, what are we even doing here? But when you use it sparingly and in special spots, it makes it more special. I, what I don't think it should be is frowned upon. And there's a lot of people who just don't want to see it at all. But I would be totally down for like, I don't know, Mia Yim versus Dominic Mysterio or a mixed tag team match where the women and men actually are able to fight each other. And what's really interesting is there's two, I think it's two women on Raw. There could be more that I'm not thinking about. And this is my inexperience in some degrees with like the deep portions of independent wrestling. But I know for a fact that Mia Yim and Candice LeRae both 
have extensive intergender wrestling experience. Yes. So if yep. you're going to do it, like having them, one of them or both of them involved, there is the opportunity to do that on Raw. Again, I would not do it frequently by any means. But if they built up some type of storyline and they did it at WrestleMania, like an intergender mixed tag team match, I think it would be a home run with the crowd. I agree. You, you've you've got to pick your spots with it. And it's got to be like, like you said, like a Dominic or like somebody kind of getting in the spot, like China versus Jeff Jarrett. You know, like the, mm-hmm. the, that's where it kind of makes sense. Not just China against every man on the roster or something like that, because you, you, you want people are people pop for it. They're into it right now because it's something we don't see a lot. And it's the women holding their own. It's like, oh, hey, that's kind of interesting and surprising. If you get it all the time, you lose you, you kind of lose track of it. Some people I know are completely against any kind of intergender wrestling. Obviously, they've only basically done, I think, women attacking men, mm-hmm. you know, which, which fine, totally makes sense. I think you you can do it. You guys kind of pick your spots. Rhea Ripley against, you know, uh, Carl Anderson in a one-on-one, like people would believe that. Mia Yim against Dominic, people could believe that. And I think that's where you got it. That's where you got to kind of keep it in that, uh, keep it in that window. And I also, yeah, you're, right. you're right. Can't Candice Lurie's got the long history with um, uh, Joey, uh, Joey Ryan, mm-hmm. you know, obviously stuff with Joey Ryan happened. That's a whole other issue. But yeah, she was, she did intergender wrestling with him uh, for a long time. So yeah, that's something, something definitely in her background too. And, and let's be clear also, like I'm, I'm calling this intergender wrestling, but it was still just really the women doing moves on the men. So it's still really and, not all the way there, but there's a difference between a woman punching a man and a woman body slamming a man or stomping them mm-hmm. in the corner or tossing them. That's you're getting into real wrestling moves. So it's a step. And I think given the crowd reaction, they're basically saying, Hey, you know what? We could go a little further here. I want to see Carl Anderson body slam Rhea Ripley. And I want to see Ripley maybe no sell it and get up and punch him in the face, right? Like it doesn't have to be a lot, but those moments, if they can do them right, I really think it could work especially on Raw with the women that they have. Rhea Ripley, who can match up to any man, uh, and Mia Yim and Candice LeRae, who actually have experience with it. So I don't know that's going to happen, but you know, just wanted to note. One more thing before we move on, Chris. Um, our criticisms of the women's division under Triple H, this episode of Raw certainly felt like him hitting the reset button. We had two long women's matches in hour one and three, multiple segments. I mentioned the mixed... Uh, tag team match that we just discussed. I thought it was really refreshing to see them take multiple steps forward. And no doubt, a lot of it had to do with Becky Lynch returning. Yeah, probably. I I, I think so. That, that would make sense. Um, definitely a step in the right direction. Like you said, pretty much the entire first hour of Raw was women's wrestling. So um, good to see good step in the right direction. All right, let's keep going here. And we'll stay with the women. Uh, Bianca Belair, Asuka, and Alexa Bliss were backstage for an interview when the Bray Wyatt graphics again flashed on screen behind Bliss's head. Look, one time, it's a happenstance. Two times, it's a coincidence. Three times, it's a storyline. They're doing something with Alexa Bliss, somehow rejoining Bray Wyatt. We'll figure it out down the line. Uh, Belair said they were glad to be done with damage control. That was also great to hear. And she also said that she held the division down with Lynch gone. She put their team together. And she brought Lynch back. Bliss was kind of like staring off into space while Bianca spoke. And when the microphone was put in her face, she kind of just nodded along saying, yeah, Bianca's right. I'm not sure if this was Bliss 
getting angry at Bel Air for taking credit for everything, or she was being affected by the Wyatt stuff, or a mix of both. Either way, I was intrigued by this segment. I saw them at first. I was like, oh my God, they're still together. They're still going after damage control. But they literally seem to calm both of those concerns all in the moment. And I criticized earlier, so let me give credit to commentary. I loved how Corey Graves explained they were only backstage talking because none of them had actually been cleared to wrestle on the show. I thought this was very good. Uh, yeah, that was fine. I groaned when I saw the three of them together. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do this again. Everybody freaked out about the Bray Wyatt thing in the back. People pointing out what Alexa Bliss was wearing. I don't know. I, 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 I'm going to wait till something happens with Alexa Bliss and Bray Wyatt when it happens. Until then, I'm not reading into very much more. Alexa Bliss has been back for a while, has not done basically any character work, just in terms of how she's been written and booked. So I'll just kind of wait and see. This was fine. Bray Wyatt got chance after his long entrance uh, that he loved. He loved hearing the crowd chant for him. He said he has a good handle on what people think about him, good and bad. But people just want to see the monster, the fiend. Wyatt said that's not the man he wants to be anymore and that he did not attack L.A. Knight. Uncle Howdy interrupted, saying, quote, the world is built on lies. Everyone lies. He lies. Don't you see what he's doing? Open your eyes. He'll make you believe everything. He'll give you purpose. He can make you feel wanted, but it's just a lie. You should be careful. He'll make fools of us all if you listen to him. Never forget the snake in a cage is still a snake. Wake up. And this was all mixed with footage of Wyatt as Husky Harris, the cult leader, and also in the Firefly Funhouse. Not as the fiend, though, which I found interesting. Uh, Holding a crutch with his arm in a sling, Knight called Wyatt a liar who is getting away without consequence. Knight said, if he was hurt, or if he wasn't hurt, I should say, he would kick Bray Wyatt's ass. Then the Wyatt imagery all flashed on screen with a phone number, 888-280-3999, appearing. Now, I didn't look up if that number had any meaning, although obviously 999 is the inverse of 666 if you flip it upside down. But that phone number led to a pre-recorded message. And here, Chris, is that message. patient suffers from delusions of grandeur, perhaps the most extreme incidents I've encountered. I'm concerned that no regimen of treatment or medication will be able to counter the imbalance of power in the patient's psyche. They're prone to disorganized thought patterns that communicate a sense of unmatched importance. Bouts of isolation seem to have amplified their inner monologue and honestly blocked out any outside voice. In short, the patient would need to think as highly of a medical practitioner as they do themselves. And honestly, that seems to border on the impossible. I've become concerned that this patient is such a danger to themselves and anyone they encounter that... Hello? Hello? Is someone there? Hello? Hello? So that was the uh, you know message that I got when I called that phone number. Uh, Knight <laughs> was later shown attacked and trapped between a road case and a garage door screaming in pain. Uh, so, you know, in some ways, this was a step back this week in terms of developing the feud, but it was a step forward in terms of developing the gimmick and the character. 
And I thought that was fine. As long as we have that mixture, it's enough to keep the viewer intrigued and attentive. It raised a lot more questions about whether Wyatt or Uncle Howdy is actually the bad guy, whether they are the same person, and really what exactly is going on here. And the phone message was another great Easter egg, another similarity to something from Mr. Robot, which I've already told all of you that you need to watch. It's an incredible show. But while I am saying good here, we do need to get more actual development that we can sink our teeth into on this soon. More answers, fewer questions. It's already been a couple months. It really feels like we're not going to get Bray Wyatt wrestling until the Royal Rumble or something. That's two months away and it's already been basically, what, two months of this gimmick. So you can't do a four month storyline build for one match. So, you know, I don't know exactly what their plans are. Maybe LA Knight happens in two or three weeks or something like that. And then he starts another feud. But again, really good, really intriguing and exciting. But, you know, it does need to progress a little bit more. I think that phone message was a HIPAA violation or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, it said, no, that sounded like it's a guy reading into his recorder, a doctor reading into his recorder for notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the stuff on the show, on SmackDown, I didn't really care about. And honestly, looking at the, the numbers on YouTube, only 265,000 views, like, that's not good. That's lower than Braun Strowman versus Ricochet. Like, that, that tells me that people may be kind of checking out on this a bit um i we loved what they did last week la night Bray wide face to face like there was some energy to it now now we're kind of back to this didn't love what they did on the show that phone message that you that you played i had not heard it until now um that was actually kind of creepy like it got me a little bit like that was actually legitimately kind of creepy in the way it ended at, at the end so uh i think i'll give a good to the phone message but a bad to the SmackDown segment. If they, if well, I mean, possible. it was all, it was all together. It was the Easter egg to go do this. So it was right. part of it. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to force you to make a single call. Actually. No, too. I'm going to say, I'm going to say bad. Okay. It wasn't any sort of move forward. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Austin theory came out on raw wearing all black, criticizing the fans for calling him a stupid kid with the money in the bank cash in asking who looks stupid. Now the crowd immediately screamed you, which was, Awesome. Like imagine, where, what was that? Wilkes-Barre? Yeah. That, it was absolute dog shit crowd a couple weeks ago. Imagine doing this segment there and like there wouldn't be any response. Norfolk, we're praising the crowd. For him to ask that unprompted and then to in unison scream you. And this is coming after the Bob chants and the Becky chants earlier in the show and all the other stuff. The crowd was great. Awesome. Uh, you know, little pat on the back, little Barry Horowitz. Uh, anyone who was in the Norfolk crowd, you deserve it. Uh, it was awesome. I just thought, you know, the way they reacted like that, obviously. And it was also awesome the way Theory called himself the now and forever of WWE. It's a really smart gimmick. He's also the face of Raw. He says that everyone is jealous of him and his era begins now. Seth Rollins came out with his hair neatly tied up. And he was also dressed, I mean, it was still outlandish, but it was relatively normal. He looked, like like a, he, he, he looked like he was going to the Roxbury. <laughs> he kind of did. It was like a see-through black shirt, just like they <laughs> yeah. they wore on that show. Yeah, with like the nipple showing and everything. Um, yeah. So he, like I said, he came out dressed relatively normal. He literally pushed Theory's mic away from his mouth so the fans could sing his song. Theory said he made Rollins once called the future, now the past. Rollins said Theory lucked into the United States Championship. Monday nights belonged to him. And then he ended with good luck, kid, because obviously Theory was angry about being called the kid. Rollins then dared Theory to hit him, goading him with Kid again. 
Theory said he'd fight him on the champ's time. And then off mic, said to Rollins in his ear, I'm not your damn kid. This was great camera work and direction on that moment. Theory then walked past Rollins and stared him down from the ramp while holding the title. This was a really good in-ring segment. Rollins seems to me at least to clearly be sliding away from the freaking part of his gimmick. This was the most normal he's looked. Freaking, sorry. It should be friggin' obviously, but freaking. Um, This was the most normal that he's looked and sounded, I think, since the Fiend feud three years ago. I mean, obviously he became a heel and then he did the gospel stuff or, or whatever you want to call that. The, the disciple and uh, what was his role? The disciple was Austin was Austin Theory and uh, Buddy Matthews, Buddy Murphy. Yeah. What was his? Uh, the Monday Night Messiah. The Monday Night Messiah. Thank you. Um, you know, obviously he was very soon after the Fiend shit happened. He became Monday Night Messiah and then freaking uh, Rollins. This was the most normal he sounded as a babyface. I really believe since before that Fiend feud, which was crazy. Um, I thought it was also refreshing, though. The freaking stuff has been kind of wearing on me. It's been pretty repetitive as of late. Theory was superb on the mic. Rollins was strong. The whole thing fits together. It really makes sense with Theory acting not just as the heir apparent, but Rollins' replacement. Why Bobby Lashley disappeared from this feud, I don't really have an idea on that. Maybe the goal is just to leave him off TV for a bit and have fans forget that his promise was to win back the United States Championship. That would make sense if they're going that way. All in all, excited to see what Theory and Rollins do from here you're right about this being the most normal we've seen Seth in forever. And it was so refreshing. I was like, Oh yeah, this is the Seth Rollins that I used to really, really like. And we haven't gotten a while. And this felt like the true Seth Rollins is a face now moment. He didn't do like obviously much of anything, but he said, he said, let the crowd sing, which they did. He talked normally and he let and he let theory look like the the heel in this. I, I thought this was executed superbly on both sides to kind of set everybody up where they are as we move forward from here. And it's a great story they told. Uh, uh theory being like, you used to be the future, now I'm the future, like you're too old now. Like it's just a natural story that they told and they set up. I thought Theory looked great in that jacket and what he was wearing. Like, they both look totally different than what they, they have in a, in a while. I thought it really worked great. And it was just like, it was calm. It wasn't like Seth being bombastic and people yelling things. It was calm. It was serious. It felt tense. And I loved it. I, this was certainly a good. And it felt like a good kind of the confirmation of a reset for both guys. Well, flashback like a month ago, right? You would do the same segment. Seth Rollins coming out in some yellow and pink suit with his hair all, you know, wavy and 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 fluffy or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you'd have Austin Theory with his cell phone taking camera shots, trying to beat Seth to take a selfie with him. And now you have two guys in the ring wearing all black, jawing at each other in a serious manner, kind of saying, look, you screwed me. I'm replacing you. Uh, I want my title back. You're not getting your title back. And that's the basis of professional wrestling, right? If I thought it was very refreshing. And, you know, right now, it's the main event men's storyline on Raw. And Austin Theory is involved in it with Seth Rollins. There's really no other way to slice it. And to me, it was a huge hit, just like you said. So easy, good across the board for that. Uh, let's move over to SmackDown and talk about the SmackDown World Cup. We had two semifinal matches. 
The first was Butch for England against Santos Escobar for Mexico. In a pre-match promo, Escobar said he would tame Butch. Zelina Vega sat on commentary. Butch moonsaulted Legado del Fantasma, but ate a tope suicida from Escobar. He then snapped Escobar's fingers on the top rope, with him falling all the way to ringside before Butch again moonsaulted Legato and hit a tornado DDT back inside. His momentum was stopped by the bloodline attacking his War Games teammates backstage. That led the Brutes, um, you know, Ridge Holland and Sheamus, away from ringside. Vega then distracted as Butch had Escobar in an armbar. Legato got two licks in on him, and Escobar hit the Phantom Driver for the expected win. I thought this was extremely well booked. Butch and Escobar had a great match. And just as Butch was rolling and getting over, there was a clear and understandable excuse for him losing. Legato looked strong and smart throughout the whole segment. Plus, Escobar is now in the finals, just a couple months after getting called up. It was also a banger match on top of all of that. Easy good. Yeah, this was good. I I, I like them. Like, we're getting Pete Dunne versus, you know, Santos Santos Escobar. Like, that's awesome. This is it's great to see an excusable loss, like you said. It's always good to get Santos Escobar these wins as you're kind of doing it. So it was definitely a good. And as I was going through the WWE YouTube page earlier today, uh, I found uh, uh, Kathy Kelly did an interview with Legado del Fantasma mm-hmm. in English and Spanish, like the same interview. And they recorded it twice. That's awesome. K- Kathy is speaking English, but it's got Spanish subtitles on it. And then one where it's in English, it was a digital exclusive or whatever. But it's always interesting, some of the Spanish things that pop up there. And it's a reminder of like, I, we, we've said before, we think Santos Escobar can be their big, mm-hmm. you know, next breakout, you know, Hispanic Latino star. And they, they seem to be kind of trying to do that. Yeah. And you know what? We've also mentioned since you talked about the digital exclusives, like, yeah, TV's gotten better, the creative products improved. What we used to say is, man, the stuff they did on the digital exclusives on social media, that stuff should be on TV. Well, you know, what's kind of interesting now. This, that All that stuff is actually on TV and mm-hmm. the digital exclusive content is somehow just as good because they're doing even more of it. So it's just like a like I, I have not been one and I'm still not going to watch like Raw Talk or was it Smackdown Lowdown, they call it now, whatever the case. I'm still probably know. not going to watch those shows, but I do Me catch either. more of the social media clips and they are very enjoyable. This was one of them that I actually watched. I didn't see the Spanish version. But I did see the English version, and uh, it was pretty cool. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, the other semifinal match was Ricochet for the United States against Braun Strowman for the United States. And as you guys know, I was angry that there were too many uh, people from the U.S. and Canada in the tournament. Nevertheless, at least they were in a semifinal, so both of them could not advance. Uh, Braun patted Ricochet on the head and got slapped across the face for it. Rick then ran off the apron for a dropkick into the barricade, only to get pounced over the announce table. As Strowman looked ready to finish him, Imperium distracted, and Ricochet caught him with a crucifix bomb for the upset win in four minutes. Imperium then attacked three on one, with Ricochet having like a crisis of conscience on the ramp, and eventually deciding, all right, I'll save Braun. He runs into the ring, and that led to a three on two beating and a chop to the chest. Braun then hesitated, but offered Ricochet a hand as the faces celebrated together at the end. So this was simultaneously a positive and a negative development. Positive because Braun is not going to steamroll his way through Ricochet and Santos Escobar, win the World Cup, and beat Gunther. Negative in that it kind of seems like they're telling a long-term story, and maybe Braun takes Gunther down at WrestleMania or something like that. Another option that they could do is a Strowman-Ricochet team, which would actually be fun, 
Remember, a lot of this storyline with Strowman and Ricochet comes from a tweet that Braun sent out about, you know, uh, having a real big men match with him on Omos at Crown Jewel and how that's a five-star match, not the flippy shit that other people do. Ricochet and Mustafa Ali took exception to that. So look, this could actually be fun if they do team together. I don't exactly know what the plans are right now. This was good. It wasn't great or anything, and we'll see what happens next. I credit credit to uh, Strowman and Ricochet for doing a believable crucifix roll up pin in a very in a situation where it's very hard to make one of those believable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like normally, oh, someone rolls them up, but Ricochet is like half the size. Like you very couldn't true. just do a normal yeah. roll up, and it was like Ricochet obviously does his whole body and snaps it back. Like it was a really good effort to make that pin happen, uh, and it, it made it believable. So that was great. Um, also, the Ricochet Strowman match got a million. View- I'm sorry, Ricochet helping Braun Strowman after the match got a million views on YouTube. Huge number. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't know if people just like Braun or, or what, but but that was that got both. huge numbers. They like both of them a lot. Yeah, yeah, and and so that works. Gunther Gunther versus Strowman is. Big meaty men we'd love to see. It feels like that could be a WrestleMania match, but that's four months away still. I, I don't know. It feels like we're getting to that sooner rather than later. Um, I don't know. Maybe it'll be at the Rumble and they team up and, and fight Imperium. Yeah, the Rumble then. makes the Rumble makes a lot more sense than than WrestleMania. Yeah, they, they so, could do. But, but man. They, they could do Braun and Ricochet against like the Imperium tag team for you know one or two times, and uh, maybe even do an Intercontinental yeah. title match where Gunther runs away from Braun because they're doing that storyline, even though I don't like it. They could stretch mm-hmm. it to the Rumble. You're right. Pushing it to Mania, it's it's way too far in advance to do that. Yeah, and and I look, we knew, hey, Braun being in this tournament, it's going to be hard for him not to win unless you figure out something else, and they kind of figured it out, and that sets up Ricochet versus Santos Escobar, which is going to be an absolute banger, and Triple H is basically now bringing Lucha Underground back to WWE. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That is actually, I forgot to mention that. You're, it's a fantastic call. We now get... Ricochet versus Santos Escobar in the finals of the SmackDown World Cup. And it does seem pretty obvious that Ricochet will win because obviously Escobar is a heel and Ricochet also. I don't don't know. I don't know. Well, Chris, don't forget when this when this whole World Cup started, Ricochet confronted Gunther and said, I'm coming back and I'm getting another shot at your title. Yeah, that's true. Plus, I don't know, like the World Cup, it's on Fox. Do they want the U.S. losing this World Cup? Well, I don't think he's he's certainly not going to. Well, he he may win the World Cup, but he's not going to lose. I mean, he's eventually going to lose to Gunther. There's no way. Right, but, right. I mean, just I, I also game. forgot when I was kind of booking the damn territory and talking about Gunther Braunstrom at uh, WrestleMania. I completely forgot about Sheamus. That's the match at WrestleMania. Gunther, Sheamus. No question. Oh, yes. Good call. That will happen. All right. The Miz fought Dexter Loomis. Finally, in an anything goes match on Raw. This was scheduled multiple weeks in advance. We got a WWE investigates piece that was basically just a recap of the whole storyline. I thought they were going to investigate more, but. I was disappointed by that. Uh, Miz backstage had a bag of money in a Louis Vuitton bag, saying he re-injured his hand and is too hurt to compete. Adam Pierce returned as an authority figure, telling Miz he's not going to get out of the match. Miz hesitated when walking down, so Pierce stole the money bag, and Miz got blindsided by Loomis. Miz had a basement DDT. He asked for the bell, hoping for a quick win. They fought atop the announce table. After commercial, Miz was screwing a table clamp on Loomis's head, which was just a really weird and unnecessary spot. In the crowd, Loomis jumped off the production area to elbow drop Miz through a table. Miz later tried cheating with the ropes, but as he was celebrating, Loomis kipped up, 
caught Miz with a seated Uranagi and locked in silence for the win in 10 minutes. The crowd was weak for most of this match, but to my surprise and delight, it actually popped for the finish and again when Loomis signed his WWE contract. Loomis was really excited walking around the ring with the bag. He took single $100 bills from the bag and handed it to four different kids on the way around the ring and up the ramp. The third of the four kids took the bill and immediately held it up to the light to see if it was real. I loved that. That kid was raised right. That popped me in a major way. Uh, Miz attacked Loomis while he was walking up. He stole the bag back. And then he took the $100 bill from the last kid and got major heat from the crowd. Johnny Gargano then ran out, super kicked Miz, took the bag back from him, gave the $100 back to the kid. There was a huge baby face pop for Gargano. And then he, the kid, and Loomis all did Loomis's signature thumbs up. For those who don't know, like Loomis from NXT, this is basically what you're going to get from him. He's a different character that moves uniquely in the ring, but the work, it's only so-so, the wrestling, and he's not exactly going to hype a crowd up from his wrestling. The post-match is an example of how Loomis can really shine and the way he stands out. He can be booked so uniquely and so different, which just makes for a really interesting and entertaining character. This got more heel heat on Miz, not that he needs it, but it also gave much needed babyface pops to Gargano and Loomis. The wrestling wasn't notable, but the segment was really good. Yeah, we, we finally got to the end of this long winding story that we kind of lost track of a few times. It started with the stalker and in getting kidnapped and not pressing charges. And, and we get to this point and it was a, it was a solid ending. Like they they stuck the landing on this, and I, I think we can we can call that a good match was fine. Expected result, like you said, got a pretty good crowd reaction. And then you know, the 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 image of Loomis like holding the money bag and just walking and handing it out specifically to children was just so like interesting and creative. Like like it was just something you don't know. No, hey, we got money, we're gonna throw it in the crowd. Crowd's cheering, but like picking out the children to give the money to, I just thought was just like a. Nice little touch to that. And then when when Miz pulled that bill away from the kid who wasn't paying attention, that was incredible. That mm-hmm. that had to, I know sometimes they plant fans, that had to be an in-the-moment ad lib by Miz. I don't he, think like, it was. He, I think that was 100% planned. You, you think the kid knew? You think that was the plan? Because the kid was holding it out there. Yeah, but he was like, I don't know. You might be right. But because, I just, and I we got the thumper so moment with Gargano, Loomis, and the kid. I think... I don't know if everything with the fans was planned, like Bob and the other guy in the crowd. Yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't know about that. But the kid, I'm I'm pretty confident the fourth kid was planned. May okay, maybe, maybe. But all again, think about how much crowd stuff they did. They did a brawl, they started Becky in the crowd, then they're brawling in the crowd onto the conquerors. You've got Dexter Loomis handing out money to them. We'll get to the street profits entering through the crowd as well. This was more in crowd action. And we've like seen in forever in WWE. And that felt like maybe an active attempt to be more engaging with the crowd that's there. And I'm curious to see if that's something that moves forward. And I thought about that when I saw Loomis handing out the money. So as a follow-up to the money, briefly, uh, the money wasn't real, but the kids got to go on a WWE shopping spree at the merchandise stand after the show. And they got a ton of stuff. They actually showed this on WWE social media as well. It was clear that each $100 bill was worth way more than that in terms of value. Like this one kid got like 
four t-shirts, two of those changed, two lunch boxes. Like kid got a bunch of shit. So that's why they gave it to kids because it, it wasn't real money. They were basically giving them merchandise instead. But that's just as exciting for the kid as getting, especially when you're a child. Uh, get, yeah. You get a hundred dollars, you get a ton of WWE merchandise. Yeah, no. I, what are you gonna? What's a kid gonna know what to do with a hundred dollars? They got more yeah. than a hundred dollars worth of stuff. Have you seen the prices on WWE Shop? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, they got way more than than the hundred dollar value. I guarantee it. Uh, Matt Riddle and Elias were backstage with Riddle hyped up about their success. Elias said he likes to be a solo act, but he can't deny their chemistry and the fact that he's never won gold makes it interesting for them to go after the tag team titles. The Bloodline immediately stepped in, saying they had no shot. So Elias issued a title challenge and the Usos accepted anytime, any place. Sokoa then stared them both down. So let me get this straight. These guys have fought and won a single tag team match. Elias basically had to be convinced to team with them again. And now they're getting a title shot. I know there's a lack of teams for the Usos to face that they haven't already defeated. This was absolutely ridiculous. At least have them win a gauntlet or a short tournament or a fatal four-way number one contendership. Do something to make this legitimate. Uh, we had a good, bad, and ugly segment. I thought we were going to go the entire way without a bad or ugly, at least for me. I can't do it. This was bad. I did laugh that Riddle called Elias lies, like, <laughs> like as a nickname for him. I legitimately laughed at that. He was like, hey, lies. Oh, I thought that was funny. But yes, it was insane. We're just, hey, well, yeah, we'll we'll defend these titles any place, anywhere. After like not doing that forever, why would the Usos do that? Like it was zero attempt at creativity of finding any way to work around this. Very, very lazy planning. You could you could just make this a non-title match. You could have done set something up. They could have thrown them or... into the Street Profits Alpha Academy match and made it a number one contendership because the profits yeah. are returning. Yeah, come on. Come on. Anything that, else would have been bad. better than this. It's just, it, it's very yeah. lazy booking. And again, Matt Riddle just being cooled off. There's no way they're winning the titles. So they're going to take a loss in their second match together. Now, maybe that turns Elias heel and then they feud. Okay, then that would make sense why they're doing this. But still, it's it's way too quick to do a title match that way. Uh, the Street Profits, speaking of, fought Alpha Academy. The Profits made their return with a backstage promo interrupted by Academy. Chad Gable wanted to welcome them back with a match and they all just clowned around for a bit. Typical stuff with all four of them. In the match, Angela Dawkins did some type of like catch tackle on Gable. There was a, a TV cut, like a, a production cut, but like commentary was selling it as like this really cool move. I barely saw it, so I can't even tell you really what it was. Uh, then the Profits went on a run of topes. Gable hit the rolling German suplex on Dawkins. Montez Ford body slammed Otis to a nice pop after failing a couple of times prior. Dawkins hit Gable with the spine buster. Ford followed with a sky high frog splash. Both guys look to be in way better shape than they left. Dawkins, man, what a transformation that we've seen from this guy over the last year. Great for him. This was a relatively like formulaic match is what I would say. And we've seen nearly the exact same thing from both of these teams before. But it also made sense as a way to work off ring rust and get the profits an easy win right away without having them start a new feud. So for all of those reasons and the fact that the profits are finally back wrestling and it was entertaining, I'm going with good. Yeah, definitely a good. Always sucks to kind of see Alpha Academy are the ones who always kind of take the pins in these situations, but that's just the situation that we're in. Y your point about Dawkins looking good and in, in, in kind of reshaped as well is important because Montez Ford has obviously bulked up over the last year. 
And if you've got him, if you've got him body slamming Otis, suddenly he's got the power. And this tag team is no longer the power guy in Dawkins and the quick guy in Ford. If Montez Ford has quickness and the strength. So Dawkins has been kind of doing the other part of it, which is becoming more agile and doing some 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 more flippy stuff, I guess is a, is a better word. So they're both kind of uh, elevating their game, kind of adding skills and abilities in the ring. So if that eventual Ford push breakup, whatever happens, Dawkins is in a spot where he can still compete uh, and, and make an impact, which is important because he's great. And we, we all know, we all have the expectations for Montez Ford. I think Dawkins has been working really, really hard to make sure he's not, you know, the Genetti, so to speak. And uh, yeah. yeah, this is great to see him back. Fun match. Just good to have the profits back, man. It's It's been a while. That's true. And by the way, according to reports, uh, WWE Brass is really uh, like not just proud of, but positive about Angela Dawkins long-term as an individual, in addition to them, obviously, as a team and Montez Ford as an individual. So it's great to see that this guy who was toiling away in NXT for so long, it looked like he was going to fizzle out and fail. They found something with the Street Profits. They got um, both of them onto the main roster together. They had major success on the main roster together. Ford is clearly going to be the breakout star, the bigger star of the two. But the fact that they also believe in Angelo Dawkins, it's just really great to see for that exact reason that you said. Like It's almost like a more of a Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy situation than it is a Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty situation. And that's a huge positive for, for both of them and I think for the audience as well. And lastly here, we have the Viking Raiders against Hit Row on SmackDown. Sarah Logan is now officially known as Valhalla, which is strange because Valhalla is like a location and not a person in North Norse mythology. So like it's like heaven kind of right. It's like heaven. Yeah. So it, it's like calling someone heaven or hell or temple or church or something like that. It's it's weird. Anyway, uh, Top Dollar released two awful tracks ahead of this match that she's got to stop, man. He, uh, Ashanti, he's, had, he's had some he's had some good ones and some bad ones. The, it, there's it's a way real more mess. bad than good. It's just not even it's not even close. I appreciate the effort. Though. I appreciate the effort. Uh, Ashanti the Adonis sold a knee off a missed leap. Eric kneed Topdala off the apron and they hit Adonis with Ragnarok for basically a squash victory. This was as dominant as it should have been. I think we were all a little bit perplexed with Hit Row being brought back. But looking at it now, it's clear their role is not to be like some big faction that gets over, wins the tag team titles. I mean, maybe they do one day or something like that once they're split again. But their role is basically main roster, low card slash jobbers. And mm -hmm. there is value in having people like that on your roster. In fact, WWE for far too long did not have people like that. So given the context of that and the Raiders getting a big dominant win, I'm going to say good here. If you gave me the same match a month ago, I would have said, holy shit, they just squashed the hit row. They brought him back. This doesn't make any sense. But because I'm now putting their role in WWE in context, I thought the Raiders and Valhalla, Sarah Logan, they all looked really good. So I'm giving it a good. Yeah. And Sarah Logan continues to look even more like the person on the show Yellow Jackets that I mentioned that I think is coming back at some point on Showtime. And it just it stuck out with the end. I, need to I think that. it's a great look. I, 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 I like the look like it's the first time in a while that I like I feel like I buy the the Viking Raiders as what they are because because they're just they're a hundred percent in on this. And if they're a hundred percent in on it, then I will be in on it. And so I, I, I've liked what they're doing. I like the setup. I like the look. Um, 
this this was uh this was a good it, yeah. it, I, I i'm enjoying what they are doing all righty well chris that is everything from this past week in wwe any final thoughts before we get out of this edition of the getting over wrestling podcast yeah, I wanted to say at the beginning of the show, I forgot. So when I was driving home from Indianapolis to, to Dallas yesterday, I stopped at a Love's gas station in Illinois. And what did I find when I went inside? A bin of hats. And among these many hats were a ton of XFL 1.0 and 2.0 hats. Like the Los Angeles Extreme, the Chicago Enforcers mm-hmm. back in that 2001 season. And I bought I bought a, just a plain regular 2001 XFL hat like I'm Rob Lowe at an NFL game or something like that. But uh, how much? It was six dollars. Oh, totally worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I like people were like, why didn't like I thought about getting more. But yeah, like, I, you I'm really should have bought it. You, you should have bought it. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't wear a ton of hats. Also, by the way, people have people responded to me to tell me that Loves does have a other uh, XFL old XFL stuff at a number of stores. Somebody sent me, someone sent me a picture of mm-hmm. a bunch of Birmingham bolts uh, gear. So if you happen to be near a loves truck stop and you're looking for some XFL gear from 21 years ago, that may be the place to go, but I'm very happy. I, I found this XFL hat. I've mentioned before, I have a bookcase in my office that has like the ECW championship on it. Uh, I have a couple of oh, nice. Uncle pops that. and some other WWE uh, mini championships that they sent me as promotional items and a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, but one of my most prized items on the shelf, and it has autographs, and uh, I have a Navy football helmet, which is also one of my most prized items on the shelf. Um, but one of my most prized items is the original, authentic XFL football. I was Ooh. a huge fan, legitimately, of the original yes. XFL. I know it started rough. Anyone who watched through the first season and saw like the playoffs and the million dollar game is what I believe it was called, their Super yeah. Bowl. By the end, it was actually really good and entertaining television. And if you watch that XFL documentary, I think it was a 30 for 30 that ESPN did. It really shows you that like the XFL would have continued if it was not for numerous other like outside things that kind of happened. Um, So I was a fan. I had a lot of XFL and WWE New York merchandise. One of my favorite Mm. t-shirts, not even t-shirts. One of my favorite, like, I don't want to say nice shirts. It wasn't a polo, like a V-neck shirt, but it wasn't a t-shirt. It was like a polo mm-hmm. type of texture. One of my favorite ones of those growing up was a all black, with a little logo, WWE New York uh, shirt. I wore it all the time. I had a WWE New York hat, all that type of stuff. Never even went there. People just knew I liked it. And I always, buy me I always wanted to go there, man. I always me wanted too. to go whenever you saw it. <laughs> Especially when like they had Shotgun Saturday Night live like, there and people, the pay-per-view shows. It looked awesome. If you were not alive or you did not pay attention during the Attitude Era, you... You, you don't understand how big professional wrestling was. Yeah. They were like drawing Monday night football numbers. They had a restaurant in Times Square. They they created an entire freaking football league with Jerry Lawler and uh, Jim Ross Jim on Ross. commentary. And at this exact time is when they bought WCW. Like this, this all happened in a very quick run. Yeah. It was it was nuts. But yeah, I popped big finding the XFL. And actually, coincidentally, Western Michigan fired their head coach. Tim Lester yesterday. He is a former XFL quarterback. Played for yes, the Chicago is. Enforcers. That's correct. Played for the Chicago Enforcers, as did uh, uh, Jeff Brom, the Purdue coach, uh, played in the XFL. Who was well, the – I'm, I'm forgetting. Uh, he played for the Steelers. Tommy uh, – Tommy Maddox. Tommy Maddox. XFL he, MVP, he I believe, if memory serves. Yeah. Uh, from we, so, yeah. So, I just uh, – funny coincidence on that. And, yeah, we've uh, – XFL 3.0 is now coming 
yeah. next spring led by the rocks. Yeah, not um, we'll see if this we'll see if it works ever. Yeah, we'll we'll see if it works. Uh, I, I actually am optimistic for it, but I will say XFL 1.0, if you want to call it that black and red, maybe of <laughs> the original. Um, it was the perfect cross section in my life between professional wrestling, football and being a teenager and like, you know, uh, women and the cheerleaders that they put out and some of the things that they did commercial wise, go, go Google or go to YouTube and watch uh, XFL cheerleader commercials. And you're <laughs> going to have yourself an absolute blast watching yeah. some of those. I promise you, uh, Chris, look, that was a, a fantastic uh, trip down memory lane talking XFL. If you ever see one of those logo um, Rob Lowe XFL hats, please get it for me next time. Uh, I would appreciate it very much. And I do have a couple of road trips coming up. So maybe I will stop in some of those locations and see if I can find one myself. But look, thanks everyone for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. On the way out, allow me to remind you one more time that this show is all about Defy. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a five-star written review. Let everyone know how much you love the show. Tell them why they should subscribe. And as I said, if we hit 400 of these ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts before the end of 2022, we will start doing it only once per show in 2023. So hopefully that's some motivation for those of you who haven't done it. I'd say get off, off your asses, but just open your laptop or go to your uh, Apple Podcasts app on your phone. And give us that five-star rating and review. Great show. We love it. You know, just, you know, leave some words. Tell us why you're thankful uh, in this time of thankfulness, Thanksgiving season for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, polls, news, and analysis during shows. All that great stuff on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Thanks once again to Vintage Chris Vanini for joining yours truly, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. And it is now time for me to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.